0: Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. I am... Dude, I'm thrilled to have you here. My guest today is Warren Zanes. And you might, through various prisms, have interacted with Warren's work. He was in a band that's... I'm 57 years old, so he was in a band that mattered to guys like me, the Del Fuegos, um, not the Del Lords, or the Delphonics. He wasn't in the Delphonics either. Uh, and... Uh, it was a real drag. I, I am sure. I've always wanted to ask guys in those bands what a drag that was. But uh, he uh, and I mean, I'm someone who's I have I have albums by all those bands, and I, and I have always had them. Um, I saw you in concert though, and not the, neither of the other two bands. But you might know Warren. Like, but 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 Warren is also a professor. Uh, he is an incredible writer. Warren, you you wrote. You know, your Tom Petty biography is one of the few books in, in my adult life that I first encountered in my adult life and have read uh, three times. Oh. And I read it with my eyes and then I read it a second time. And then in pandemic, I started bicycling and I listened to it um, bicycling around because it's a lot. It's great, too, because it's really long and. It was like an incredible. It really kept me company, and as a creative person, super inspiring book. Um, thank, you. thank. Warren's God. written for Rolling Stone. He's worked with lots of rock luminaries. He's been in a long time collaboration with Garth Brooks, and has uh, writing uh, with Garth, who I once, I once, Warren, I once spent the night uh, at Garth and Ms. Yearwood's house in Oklahoma. Oh wow! Yeah, I've, so I've I have. Been out, I've been out there. Yeah. Yeah, they're incredible, incredible people and uh, the most hospitable human beings in in the world. And um, you have a book that came out this week called Deliver Me From Nowhere about the making of Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska. And unlike with Petty, you know, I have always loved Tom Petty. Tom Petty's work always mattered to me. It's always been in my life but I spent very little time contemplating it. I spent a lot of time contemplating Campbell and Petty and what that dynamic must have been. A lot of time thinking about Campbell's place in the world and the decisions he made. Always, before your book too, but your book gave me this incredible appreciation. But Bruce has occupied, particularly Nebraska, just a tremendous amount of time Mm. and energy for me. And when I was a sophomore in college, I was really um i was incredibly sad and alienated and and lonely and had just gotten my heart crushed uh, by the first love that i had and uh you know cold horrible boston winters i didn't go to harvard that's not a sneaky way of saying harvard when i say boston winters (laughs) i'm not i may be a douchebag but not that kind um and uh the two albums that I would, you know, it's like not quite overstating it to say, really saved my life were Nebraska and Fables of the Reconstruction. And they were the only two cassettes I had. And much like you described the Nebraska, because the original Nebraska cassette, it had no case. And it, it was just in this busted up Jeep CJ7 with no heat. And I would drive around in freezing cold Boston nights, stoned and going to the Tasty to get double cheeseburgers at three in the morning. And Nebraska was the only companion I had very often. And so, when I heard that this guy who' written my favorite rock biography of all time wrote a book about Nebraska, I freaked out and had to get it the day it came out and um, I'm so glad to have you here to talk about how you work and about the record well, i i I love
1: hearing that and i'll and I'll tell you this uh my reason for writing it is that I had the equivalent experience and You write the book and then you find the audience that the book was intended for. And the number of people already who have come to me and said I was walking alone and then Bruce Springsteen gave me something to walk with. I've I've heard it over and over. And Nebraska is the thing that he gave people to walk with. And I had the same same experience. And um, I don't even think I fully knew what part of me was broken that responded to the brokenness of nebraska but it was this visceral connection and it just always you know there was that moment in time when it came out and i connected in that way and then it just stayed with me and you know writing a book is this amazing opportunity to get some answers to questions that you had, and, you know, one of them was my, like, why am I responding to it in th- this way? But the other bigger question was, why in God's name would an artist at the top of his game make a decision like this?
0: Well, of course, you know, I grew up in a music business household, and so I was aware of those things in a way that most people weren't when I was a kid, You know, I know everybody that you mention in the book pretty much uh, and in some way, the executives, you know, and in some way. And I knew them all. And I had, uh, you know, I mean, I the way you describe Al Teller, I mean, I knew that man uh, and I'd had conversations with that man, both when I was like 14 in one context and when I was 23 in another context. And you draw them in the business in an incredibly accurate an uncynical way, eyes wide open, understanding what all of it means, but uh, with empathy. And I, I guess I, there's so much I want to say about Nebraska. Ask you about Nebraska and and, and talk about it. I really want to talk to you about how you do what you do. You're a wonderful prose writer, really tremendous prose writer. But that's, I don't think that's the, I think that's the icing on the cake of your gifts. Um, to me, the empathy that you have is the kind of like leading edge. And I wonder if that's always been a part of your journey as an artist or whether it's something you consciously tap into in the work.
1: Boy, uh, that's a great and hard question. And I can't say there have been epiphanies along the way where I've said it's time to ramp up my empathy. I will say this. I'm going to have a therapy session after we do this podcast, and uh i'm I'm pretty unguarded in talking about what happens in my therapy sessions, but my therapist actually said uh that I needed more, like in my intimate relationships, like I was having he felt a kind of crisis of empathy,
0: but a book project is a totally different thing, and that's why I'm asking yes, yeah, an, that's why I asked I you about empathy as an artist as different from empathy as a, uh, a person. Because right, one thing I think you highlight in all your work is that often the best artists deliver the best of themselves in the work. And it's, it shows up in the work and it's been an endless source of fascination for me my ent- entire life. This question of if one, if an artist can give the best of themselves there, like what does it mean about what's withheld intentionally or not, or saved unconsciously? You know, look,
1: there, there's always, it will remove it from me, but let's just say an artist with great empathy in their work behind them stands a family going, why can't he or she or they bring that to us? You know, a starving family and the writer expressing this great empathy that's real. It's not, it's not theater, uh, theater. But it's, it's, why do I love writing books? Why do I love writing songs? It's a place of tremendous freedom where it's a hell of a lot safer to be vulnerable. Why? Maybe because you're in your own little gated community of one thinking about the things you love, the records that have mattered to you. Like you just mentioned Al Teller as a, as a kind of segue into this question of empathy. I know there's this black and white understanding of, you know, art and commerce, the songwriters, the record makers, they're the good guys, the record label guys, they're the bad guys. I hate that dichotomy. It's a false dichotomy. Some of the, some of the most artistically sensitive people I know work on the business side and it's, you know, like that book, you know, mansion on the hill, you know, it, it, it's It makes some egregious claims, I think, about the business being the bad guys. And Al Teller, there he is getting this record, Nebraska, unfinished, imperfect, pitch issues, tempo issues. And he finds a way to embrace it as poetry and then, you know, prepares for Born in the U.S.A., he was a facilitator. At the heart of the book, I wrote the relationship between John Landau and Bruce Springsteen, a really crucial creative and business relationship. So when I'm in the space of writing, um, you know, I mobilize empathy to
0: undo some of those dichotomies. It's not good guys and bad guys. This is music.
1: It's a business
0: well, it's about ince- Well, the incentive, the the incentive structures, perhaps make executives have to, um, perhaps reward executives for turning the dial down um, on the empathy meter, whereas maybe artists are rewarded for turning the dial up on the empathy.
1: Meter like, you know, Jerry Wexler was, was a guy who was, he was a magical figure in my life when I wrote my Dusty in Memphis book. Uh, there's no question that Jerry was doing better than a lot of his artists, you know, and he, you know, he, he had more square footage.
0: Well, yeah, I love the, the way you drew the, in a very brief moment. I mean, I would from, from the petty book and this book, um, and I know this has occurred to you and I know why it would be impossible to do, but I mean, you have to do the definitive Iavine biography. There's no doubt. There's no doubt that you have to write that book. The, the Dre and Jimmy documentary while, well, almost infinite, jest like, and how rewarding it is to watch and how it <laughs> doesn't allow you to do anything else, you know, it's so captivating, but. Uh, you should. I mean, the Jimmy book would be an incredible thing. I mean, just a few paragraphs in this one, you really, you really tell the tale, man. Well, he he's one of those full arc characters, and
1: and you know he's a he's a fantastic interview. He's he's practically doing the writing for you at times.
0: Uh, Are you aware when you're? So I thought the, your book, like sort of the first third of the book, felt to me. Almost like um, a Jeff Dyer or David Markson kind of an approach to a discursive. uh, You would you would take these like kind of discursive uh, tributaries. And then it seemed and I loved it. Right. Because it felt like you were like I don't know if you've read Last Days or Roger Federer, which is this incredible by Dyer. But um, you, you I think you'd really dig it. But you're you're kind of like getting at your subject, but you're you're drifting, you're taking us in these areas that kind of reflect upon, back um, on it. But then something happens around the third of the way. It almost seems like the urgency, which is a weird word with Nebraska, or the determination the the way the North star had its magnetic effect, kind of like had that effect on you as a writer. And that stuff like kind of went away for like a lot of the book until we got back to Jimmy's house. And it seemed like you were much more on a straight line of trying to understand and help us understand. Um, You know, and the great thing about Jimmy, the Jimmy thing is it like the parallelism between the studio thing with Jimmy and just the barely glancing mention of the Bon Jovis uh, and the same dynamic in a way. And uh, like, how much is that stuff structurally intentional when, when you write? How much do you recognize it when it happens? I I had an email
1: from from the writer Bill Flanagan, who oh, yeah. I first met Bill when I was a teenager in a rock and roll band and he interviewed us for a for musician. And uh, you know, I don't think I said anything that was included in the article. So he's seen me go from, you know, the kid guitar player in the rock and roll band. Yes. You know, to have a few different lives in there, but he wrote me a beautiful email talking about structure in this book and yes. as a kind of tightening of the circle, coming in on it, and it it echoes what you're saying. And um, I, I would love to claim that there was a higher level of consciousness in creating that structure. I, I think it's more felt at an intuitive level. But boy, it's gratifying when someone else sees structure. It's like, it makes you feel like you're doing the right thing. Because it's just, it's just like songwriting and record making. You have to get all the way in there to do it. But once you're all the way in there, you can't see it from outside. And so you really don't
0: know half of what's going on. Well, this mix of conscious and unconscious is so central to Nebraska. And, you know, you point in the in the book... I want to I throw a thesis at you of, uh, as a way of also discursively getting here to the heart of the thing. Like the common thing, which you not debunk is too strong a word, but uh, uh, for you, Ghost of Tom Joad is not the analog to Nebraska. And I agree with you, and I but I have a thesis. And the thesis is that Western Stars is the closest record to Nebraska.
1: Hmm.
0: And... Because I I feel the same sense of uh, subconscious lack of calculation with Western Stars. I feel somebody, uh, and maybe a couple songs on Magic, but uh, for me, uh, Western Stars is a record that just exists. It floats. It's got that kind of echo, too, actually. Uh, It's got the barn. It's like, uh, feels to me like someone taking over, by a feeling more than by an idea. And for me, the, the thing about Nebraska as versus Tom Joad is, and the book points to this, is that Nebraska, but you don't exact. you don't, you let us fill this in much the same way you describe that Nebraska is a record where Bruce lets, you finish the book with this notion that Bruce lets us fill it in, as in a lot of the best work, right? We fill in yeah. a, a lot of it. Yes. Um. And so your book does this too, which is you don't specifically state this, but Nebraska is a pre-therapized album and Ghost of Tom Joad is a post-therapized album. Mm. And so one is all about not knowing what you intend and the other is about intending things. Uh, yeah. uh, well, I'll, I'll buy that theory.
1: Um, and it's funny when you talk about Western stars being sharing something with Nebraska obviously not at the level of um studio production um but but process um I think Tunnel of Love is Nebraska too um but when I first heard Western Stars I said this is related to Tunnel of Love yes and so I like I felt like there is a line and he says that you know in one of my interviews he said you know from nebraska forward it was sometimes it'd be with the band and sometimes not and nebraska determined that that was the path forward and so what happens in those times when it's not a band record and western stars did give me this feeling of a person who is spending a lot of time alone and coming up with you know Exploring what are his freedoms and where do his freedoms end? I felt that, and Tunnel of Love did the same thing. So it's like Nebraska. Nebraska is unfinished business that will never be finished, but it started there.
0: I agree, I, um and one always has to be not skeptical of what an artist says, but has to know that an artist doesn't always know the answer. There, their answering is, you know, humans. We we uh, try to find we believe that we can find an order or a progression, but, and I think it is true uh, that uh, post Nebraska, Bruce had a different awareness. Um, can, can I just insert one
1: thing in there? And, and, and cause you're touching on something that I think is important. And it was really amazing to me in doing interviews with Bruce is we're talking about art. And when he came up to a question, he didn't kind of like put to reach for the scrap heap and come up with some answer. He just came, he came back with a question. Like when he didn't know, he was so authentic in his unknowingness. And I think that is the truth of the maker. But a lot of times in the marketplace, people are yes. media trained to give answers and he's, he's trained in a different way when he doesn't know the answer he kind of looks to the person asking if if it's possible in that relationship right there and you can start to ask questions so it ended up being like just the, the best kind of interview possible because he's got this humility about the power of art and his place in it like he understands who he is he understands the job he's doing and the level at which he's doing it. But he also has this humility around art that leads to unbelievable interviews where he doesn't lock everything in. Like he remains curious uh, and it's to me so inspiring.
0: Yeah, that resonates heavily with my understanding of him as an artist and with the one time i got to spend meaningful time with him and the things that he that he said uh about trying to grab this stuff from the ether and what's required uh if you want to try to grab stuff from the ether there's an uh, but um and this will be the last thing on the western stars of it all like there were like for every one of these kind of things and then for every kind of commercial effort or mission there's um There's this ebullience that's like the Glory Days ebullience or the Seeger Sessions ebullience. And there are only a few records that consciously don't ensure that he puts that in there. And that's Mm -hmm. why I think, yeah, Western Stars doesn't have that. And then Nebraska doesn't have that. There are moments on Tunnel, you know, that, that do. But it's like the songs recorded without thinking about what the show is necessarily yeah,
1: yeah. You know,
0: we are so lucky
1: to have a few long careers to consider. There, There's nothing like a, a long career for the fan and listener. You know, like the, it's a long career that's making this conversation possible that we can think Western stars in relation to Nebraska. Uh, you know, I felt a similar thing with with Petty, but... I think Bruce has this unguarded quality that's makes it even richer in a way. I mean, I hate to draw comparisons, but Bruce, you know, look at his memoir. It was his memoir that made my book possible. When he talks about that trip West and his breakdown, that was my door in. He provided it. I just went through it.
0: Well, this other step makes sense to me, um, and I only, although I only read the memoir once, I, I did also go see the Broadway show live and then I watched the Broadway show. So I've interacted with that. You know, I watched it on video after. I So I've like interacted with that material. What do you think it is about these, these, these men, Bruce and Petty and Campbell and Stevie? And then I want to talk about Mr. Landau, who's really in, important to me in many ways culturally. And um, I've, I've been on the receiving end of a bunch of, wonderful emails um, and going back and forth with, you know, there's nothing like getting to talk to him about art in any way. It's mind boggling. Uh, what a genius, what a genius he is. It's just mind boggling, you know? Well, talking to him about the, the visual
1: arts alone is, is really, really great. Like the the first time I, I spent time, just the two of us, it was, it took us an hour to get through you know, the history of Western art to get to Nebraska. <laughs> but he, here's somebody who's dedicated a lot of his life to Renaissance forward, uh, you know, Renaissance through 19th century art in particular. Um, he really knows his stuff and hearing him talk about what he loves in a, in a painting or sculpture is remarkable it's not your typical music business hang
0: you know there's this wonderful moment in the book and colored also for me afterwards by understanding how long and close your relationship to stevie is Stevie is also a subject of like almost like young adulthood to now fascination for me and having had Many long combos with him, too. It's really fascinating to me that Bruce and Stevie you talk a little bit about the differences, but between Campbell and Petty and and Bruce and Stevie, but obviously one enormous difference is for all of Bruce's unguardedness and for all of Petty's guardedness, Petty was willing to collaborate and Bruce wasn't. And to me, there's, you know, because what people don't know because of the way Stevie publicly accepted his role is that intellectually, IQ-wise, the ability to synthesize and process information, I've met very few people in my life as smart as Steve Van Zandt
1: yeah
0: agreed he's he's
1: uh really smart really passionate like if you're looking for somebody who both understands rock and roll but also uh loves it in a really at a deep spiritual level um he's he's top of the list there um but i but i y- y- yes Petty and Campbell collaborated, but I would say I would say yes, Bruce and Stevie collaborated in a different way. You have to go
0: beyond the song credit. Oh uh, of course yeah. they collaborated, yes, yeah. thank you. I, I didn't mean I was really talking only about though as songwriters. Because, right. because yes, no, of course, Stevie um his contributions to the way the band works, his uh he and Bruce figured out rock and roll together, all that stuff. Obviously, Stevie's his yeah. main, other than Landau, the main collaborator. And we really lost something those years that Stevie left and all, all that stuff. But you have these two sets of best friends, two of whom are these hyper-verbal, hyper-intellectual readers of literature, readers of the semiotics of rock and roll and art. And then these two other dudes who love rock and roll, who know it's going to deliver salvation. But, you know, you talk about Bruce's obsessions showing up in the work, whereas it always felt to me like Petty's obsessions were actually, it's not that the obsessions, other than the woman you, you write about so much, but it's like Petty was obsessed with the records being great, but it felt more than the obsessions that showed up. In it. And I wonder if that's part of why he could open himself up to Mike collaborating as a, as a writer and how you see it as a writer. Yeah, I, I, I think that relationship
1: remains somewhat mysterious to Tom and, and Mike, um, but I, you know, I think there's a lot of beauty in these young men supporting a, another young man in the way that they did. Like, I, I haven't done that for anyone um uh it's it's to be able to recognize a fellow's gifts and support them rather than compete with them is profound um even if there's some competition in it it's still at the the top thing is I'm supporting this person I recognize their gifts that's pretty incredible for a young male in our culture to do. So I'm, I'm moved by that. And then the other guy's got to kind of change his shape to fit the other man in there. You know, if you envision them as a circle, it's like, it's not going to be yin yang. It's like, so what is it going to be? They've got to figure that out. And so many rock and rollers come from homes where they learn nothing about how to do that. Right. And there they are out in the wilds trying to figure out how to make room for another person it's just i think i'll never stop thinking about rock and roll bands i think i'm in it for life and i'm not going to get all the answers but these relationships that you zeroed in on these are the hearts of these rock and roll band stories. And it's
0: no, I mean, I've, I'm, I'm endlessly fascinated, uh, endlessly fascinated by why well, a way to a- ask you. The question is as you study these people and think about them and as you, and you have a unique perspective because of your own career path, the choices you made, the people around you that you watched, with Campbell, you know, both guys, like, see, Stevie and Campbell are both, I would use the word, they're both great songwriters. Like, Stevie wrote, I Don't Want to Go Home, you know, and uh, Campbell wrote music for many great songs, and then he proved on his own two records, like, that if his songs aren't lyrically as able to sort of worm their way into the into your subconscious, they're still fucking great. Yeah. and. And, and, in, and the highest, like in the, the, the very top of, of, of what it is to do that thing for, 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 for your life. What did you learn as you wrote about all these people about why the other dudes, Bruce and Tom, uh, because as much as the one guy had to bend and as you say, the other, you know, opened, opened up, still the, 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 the two were like manifest destiny. Like I have to, I have to become this. What what yeah. what is that nature do you think? Yeah, I mean, I guess if I had a a
1: good answer for that, I'd be at the finish line. <laughs> and and it's there's too much mystery in it. Um I do think look, in petty we talk about uh an abusive relationship with a father early on and I didn't include everything, you know, the the examples that Tom gave me, we kind of found one that told the story and we, we went with that, but it wasn't the only one. And then, you know, in talking to Bruce about growing up with his grandparents, uh, it wasn't a thing of physical abuse, but it was still a thing of something went down that came back in later life as a very very confusing very challenging thing to grapple with psychologically and uh i don't want to make an easy equation between childhood trauma and art because i think that's that's too easy um but i do think people who go through things that can't you know can't be easily explains to themselves, that can't be figured out, that come back as this pain in adult life. If they already have some creative abilities, that's an incredible engine. If they hook that engine to their creative abilities, it's probably going to go someplace really interesting
0: yes so this engine i wrote the word engine down in the question to ask you which is uh and it's about garth and bruce because the ghosts that they're haunted by very different the and the then like the songwriting toolkit is incredibly different or the the need to write songs right is incredibly different but and i was like their their engines are uh different engines but they end up being received by the audience that's their audience, almost solely these two people in the way they can affect the stadium. I mean, I've never seen people affect the stadium the way Bruce and Garth affect the stadium. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what they do is so wildly different. And yet their audience receives it and holds them in a very similar place. I think both
1: have both understand their their power uh they both understand their position and i think they both have humility in relation to it like i was I was at a garth show uh it was i don't know how many i'd seen maybe it was like my fifth or something and i was at the soundboard just kind of taking it all in i was doing a lot of interviews with his band and crew and um Someone came to me and, and the, Trisha was just about to come off and Garth went off stage and um, they said, come on, Garth wants you. And I'm like, this is the middle of his show. And uh, they brought me underneath the stage where there was a bench and, and I go in, it's just me and Garth, he's like, come, come sit with me. And I sit with, like, a foot and a half between us. He's like, no, no, no. Like, sit with our legs touching. And he's like, I just want to take this in with you. I just want to feel this together, you know, this where we are, what's happening, and I want us to be in it, two men. And it was there was so much intention behind this and so much knowledge of what was going on in this arena. And he, you know, we were writing about his history as a live artist and he felt for me to be able to help him write about it. I had to feel that and our legs had to be touching. And I'm like, it, it, just brought me really close to the level at which people like this work. And I agree with you. These guys are, you know, these are historical figures in the history of live musical performance. And I learned, I've learned so much from my opportunity. I've pinched myself sometimes. Like I've, I've gotten to have conversations with, these artists who have experienced uh, being at the very top of their game. And I, you know, in my own spiritual searching, I have to go, uh, why has my higher power brought me here? Because I'm supposed to be learning something and I don't, I still don't know what it is, but I know I'm, I'm absorbing so much and, uh, let me give you just one one quick one. Um, you know, like, get, getting to go into the room where Nebraska was recorded with Bruce Springsteen. So just a quick, when I finished the book, I sent it to, to John Landau. And John and I had, you know, one of the great conversations of my life. And then he said, I'm going to send it to Bruce and... Uh I'm not gonna say anything. I want a cold read. And uh a couple days later I get an email from Bruce and it was one of the best emails of my <laughs> life. But it ended like how can I help? And I said, I can't find the house. That's awesome. I can't find the house. And uh, a few days later, I get a call from an undisclosed number and Bruce had made contact with the same fellow who rented it to him 40 years ago. And he called me from the room saying, they, they told me I can bring you here. And a few days after that, we went out and we walked into that room where Nebraska was made. And uh, I believe physical places carry their histories within them, that they're, they absorb what's happened in those places. You know, they are, there are homes where real domestic troubles have happened and the households, that stuff, like you be careful how you behave in a home. It's going to stay there, but, but something happened in that room. And um, I walked into it with Bruce and it was, it was all there. And it was so heavy for me. Like, and he knew that I needed to go there. Just like the story I told you about Garth. Like, like no, our legs need to be touching. You know, Bruce is knowing I need to be in that room. And he's giving me that. And it's like that level of awareness uh, is so incredible to be around. And he he was right. Like it helped me with that book. He gave me my clothes he you know and handed it off to me
0: uh well yeah it's beautiful in the book i mean that moment is incredible in 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 the book and i I told you this once when we communicated via um either email or message however we were communicating that you know the story you write that you saved it didn't put in the petty book Feels to me a cousin to this moment when Bruce called you and invited you to go to the old house, you know, which is the coffee story. And I've told this to people many times, uh, always crediting you uh, and steered. I've steered many people to read that thing, uh, as an explanation of Tom Petty's magic. But I can you? Would you tell? Would you? I would love it in your own words if you would. You know, you don't have to. If you could just explain how this thing about coffee. Gave you an understanding of what Petty does, but and then I would ask, what as a writer you found that like you know about Bruce that 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 might have given you um a related insight into Bruce. But but talk about the the Petty thing first because it talks it, to me. It also talks about your writer's eye in a, in a way. So 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 explain yeah, well, it. Well well here here's the problem is uh
1: I'm going to say to your listeners if you Google Warren Zanes Tom Petty coffee you should find the story because I feel like I, I got it there. Yeah, that's fair. But I'll say this is, um, it was an, it was an off the cuff story that he told me. Um, and I just felt as he was telling it to me, uh, he was expressing some love for an early part in his creative life in you know, in the most unadorned way and, and a lot of times you ask the question directly and they'll talk about how much they love the Beatles and seeing them on Ed Sullivan was magic um but it doesn't get you all you know when he was telling me this story, he wasn't thinking he was he didn't think he was giving me something for a book he was just talking to me about coffee, and I just felt like. There was more of the man and his love for what the gift of the life he got as a creator. There's more love in it. And, uh, and you know, so in, in a way, like Nebraska is like that. Let me explain what I mean. It's like, you know, Tom gives me this coffee story and I feel like, wow, it's just Resonating for me, but he didn't know he was giving me a story. You know, he was just talking about yeah. coffee. The, the entirety of Nebraska is Bruce didn't know he was making a record. You know, once you get into the self consciousness of, I'm making a record, I'm, you know, look, we're talking about people working at the highest level of their art. So obviously, even with self consciousness, they they're gonna do it and they're gonna knock us out but when there's no self-consciousness what an amazing thing you know and nebraska's got this you feel like this warm breath on the back of your neck and it's like whoa most records don't do that and i just think that's the artist being there with with no intention purpose no eyes on them um And and Bruce had enough sophistication to know I just captured something. (laughs) This is where I I just don't think there's another artist who's done that. Yes.
0: Well, yeah. um, Excuse the pretentiousness of this, uh, and it's not something I'd written down to say, but uh, as you were just talking about this. I thought of Camus and The Stranger, you know, and again, sorry, but it is true. And by the way, to people listening, it's weird because it's a French book. And because of its like, because of its provenance, it might sound to somebody like that's an intellectual pursuit reading The Stranger. It's not, it's just the best fucking book ever. And it's pure fun to read. It's just amazing to read. I would, I would also say if you like
1: Nebraska, You might like The Stranger by Albert
0: That's what I'm trying to say, like (laughs) like there is such, um, yes, Flannery O'Connor is I think the very direct and I understand why and it makes complete sense, but The Stranger has so many, because The Stranger's got murder in it, it's got alienation on all sides. It's The Stranger has many things in it that exist in Nebraska, including the music of the prose, like the way that it's told from first word, you know, now I get, yeah. And it's a thing, it's a thing like
1: you, you finish it and you feel like, well, I should just carry this around. Like you're done with the book, but you know, Nebraska was a, a, it comes out and final. It's kind of like, what I'm gonna take it with me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so wait, what what year were you born? Uh, I was born in 65. Right, so I'm one year younger and you know i've read a little bit about your high school life or where you were at and i I think i was on although i was a very in many ways disaffected i very terrible adhd you know poor horribly performing kind of high school kid i was definitely going to go to college and i was a in order for rock and roll to be rebellion in my household i had to get into metal so metal was like all i cared about but Because my dad didn't like that. You know, I love my dad and I had a great relationship and I grew up in recording studios, but he could not relate to heavy metal music. It just wasn't something that made sense to him. You know, I could play him um, moments of women and children first or something. And he might understand something about Eddie's sense of melody, but he didn't, he couldn't deal, you know, but so all I listened to really was metal except Bruce. Bruce. And and I would say I told this I've told this to Lando and to Bruce. My father, at least in my house, he was the biggest Bruce Springsteen fan, and it's weird because he is dinged in the the book as not being. And my dad was always incredibly honest to me about his own failings in the business. Meaning, if there was an artist he didn't uh, get who became big, he he always talked about it. And from a very little age, he would always talk about Bruce being a genius and a poet and loved him so. Uh, I got a record player when I was 13, and my first album that was mine was the, uh, the River. Ties That Bind was on that thing when it would drop down. It would wake me up like every morning, Ties That Bind. So, like, I love the time you spent on The River because that album was so crucial to me. Uh, but Nebraska, when it first came out, and as I was deep in my metal, like the most heavy metal phase of my life, Nebraska kind of snuck in, and I went to that 84 tour, the first leg, because you, you talk about how Bruce didn't tour. But that very first leg of Born in the USA tour, we used, the book stops really before it, but the very first leg, he played Johnny 99 every night. And he played Highway Patrolman sometimes. And I went and I saw him play those songs. And I loved that album, but it was really when I went to college and it, where it came back and became this, um, this thing to me. Why did you decide it was worth Bruce had written the definitive memoir. Stevie had written his book, which is great. Um, also, very different. Gives different versions of certain things, which is awesome. So you couldn't do the big, huge scope thing. Why did this grab you in, in, in this way? And you don't really talk about exactly. You talk about other people's experience with the record more than you talk about your own in the book. So, and I loved that, that they, because, again, what you let the listener fill in is, I mean, the reader fill in to your book, is the way the Blaster's microphone reverb on many of their records sounds like Elvis and sounds like Bruce on this record. Like, the slap is on, you know, something very akin to the slap echo is on a lot of the Blaster's records. And so you just let us fill in the way those things I- exist. But wh- so we get that by hearing these other people's experience. Can you really do more about your experience of, of, of this yeah. and how it got hold of you?
1: Yeah. Um,
0: probably not,
1: you know, I think I said earlier, like some brokenness in me responded to the brokenness. Yeah, and, and you know, my background is, uh, between my two parents, there it was—is was either eight or nine marriages. Um, so you know, I come from trouble, and um, you know, my father. Uh, when I when I was born, I was a C section, uh, so I, I was on the calendar. Uh, I wasn't anybody's surprise, uh, and I was born in Exeter, New Hampshire. My father was in Texas, so that's just to say, uh, things must not have been going that well. Um, so, I, you know, I probably met him, you know, when I come into consciousness, uh, I probably met him, I don't know, like 10 times, not that many times, and often lived close to him. If he wanted to have me in his life, it would have been, it would have been easy. And um, th- I think I'm still grappling with that stuff. And so a person who you know, that saying, you know, you, you deal with your past or your past deals with you. Um, there's some part of me, I think I'm still in it where I'm like trying to deal with my past. And uh, I think in some visceral way, I knew Springsteen was up to something in Nebraska. What, Like, why would you do this? You'd only do it if you had to do it. And so I think we respond to Music at this less than literal level, just some kind of it's got some kind of pulse to it that is in sync with our own pulse. And that just lingered.
0: Where did it fit in in your life? Craig Finn talks about that there are seasons for records sometimes and uh, where a record will come back to you in certain seasons. And he asked that on his great podcast. He asks people this question a lot. And that season could be a certain time, like breakups for some people, right? Or it could be a literal season. Like how, I guess like, I'm sure like you were the same as me in this one regard because of lifelong music, fucking lunatics. Um, there are certain records I've had in every format. One could have them. For whatever reason, they've just been with me. They've never not been by my side. And like Nebraska is one of that, the, the, one of those records. and. The other ones aren't all like, you know, um, like weirdly pleased to meet me Is one of those records, even though a lot of replacements fanatics, that's not the record they care about. But what is Nebraska one of those for you? Or is it one that you could forget about for, for, for a while?
1: Well, Patty Griffin, and I'm going to paraphrase, uh, but she, she said, uh, you know, when you're having trouble in your life, uh, you go to Bruce Springsteen records. And so that's been true for me. Uh, when I'm, Falling in love, um, uh, there's there's some there for me that's not what I tend. It's more heartbreak, loss, longing, um, trouble that's that's when I go there. Um, and man, I, I wouldn't want to imagine my life uh, not having the music I need when I'm
0: in trouble. Did you learn those songs and play them? Do you play them for yourself on guitar?
1: Uh not not much. It's funny like I I kind of don't It's not that I'm consciously avoiding that, but I'm more apt to go and learn Tom T Hall songs. I uh, yeah, um, I mean, you know, yes. The "Day that Clayton Delaney Died" is one I I taught myself recently. But some of this stuff is a little too sacred
0: you know, for me to go in. Yeah, you're the second podcast guest to mention Tom T. Hall. Ever in the, like, eight or nine years of the pod, the other was um, Mike Cooley of Drive-By Truckers. Uh,
1: (laughs) Well, Tom T., (laughs) But I like. I've got a Bobby Bear record that has a bunch of Tom T. Hall, and I love those versions. You know, that's how I got to Memphis. I learned that one. Uh, just beautiful stuff.
0: But you but, don't find yourself playing Bruce songs You don't find yourself playing Bruce songs, really. No. Yeah, fascinating. No. I. Yeah, it's weird. I I don't either that much. Um, and because for some reason, songs like the River, even Atlantic City, you know, uh, it's odd playing them. They don't invite you in as a player they invite as a singer and player they uh, in the same way that they invite yeah. you in as a listener a b uh, uh, for some reason i'm, I'm doing uh, some events right now
1: um and i have other people playing some nebraska songs because i do love to be able to talk about the making of the record and you know if i talk about mansion on the hill as the starting place then to have people play it I think that that's my ideal conditions un- under which you know I want to talk about a book.
0: What are these events you're doing, and who are some of the people playing the songs? Where are uh, they? Can people can people come to these, or are they private events? I, I think tonight is the last one, but I've I've done this.
1: I, I did a thing in relation to Petty before, but the, Steve Earle did it the other night. Laura oh, Cantrell so awesome. did it. Uh, James Maddock did it. And and the little combo that I've got backing people is actually guys I play with in uh, Paul Muldoon, the poet, uh, the band Rogue Oliphant. We make, it's a great band. I mean, David Mansfield, uh, who's in the Rolling Thunder band, is in it. Koch
0: O'Rear. What's the, the band called? What's, this, what's the band called that you're playing Rogue, in now? Rogue Oliphant. And where do you play out usually?
1: Every year we do six shows at the Irish Arts Center, um, but the band has done a couple tours of Ireland. Um, Really like one of the undiscovered, and and honestly, for me at my age, a guy who's like thought about bands a lot, everybody's so nice.
0: It's very healing. (laughs) Well, that's a beautiful moment in your book when you talk about, and it's one, this is I, like You're such a good writer, man, the, 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 uh, because your, your restraint and your um, ability to trust your reader is so important, and it's why your books reward reading a second time. You set it all up early, but then when you go, it's, it's really like I think the last probably quarter of the book, you just have this one sentence about the guy from The Dictators putting together another band because he didn't really like the feeling of not having one and it's just a sentence but it speaks to this entire brotherhood this entire kind of relationship with with being in bands that people have so i can understand why you'd say someone who's thought about bands where is your event tonight uh little city books in hoboken and
1: uh kate fenner will be singing alexis moon will be singing uh ray Kubian and chris harford uh it's yeah these are these are a real privilege for me, and it's where i i I don't just read from my book i i I tell stories, and you know much of it is uh I go with the moment, and you know I'm a child of uh therapy and recovery, and i I don't know how not to tell you what's going on, so it's you know it's inevitable that uh it's you know look who wants to go
0: speak of Nebraska
1: and not be vulnerable. It
0: just doesn't make sense. No, you know? of course there has to be that level of um o- openness. A couple more things. One, I wanted to correct something, to, uh, two things. One, uh, the other artist I think who probably has that effect, though I haven't seen the concert uh, that we talked about with Garth and, and Bruce, is is it's very clear to me that Taylor has that effect with her audience, that Taylor is doing the same thing. It might not be something that a couple of – 57, 58 year old dudes, um, can actually maybe feel, but I see it. It's very clear to me that for her audience, she's filling that spot. Um, can, and the stadiums can, react that way.
1: Can I, can I tell you something though? Uh, that I, that I, that I think, you know, it gets us to to something that I felt about Bruce and I can't claim deep knowledge of the man. Like he's shown up for me, but, uh, For spring break, I wanted my sons to see the American South. Um, I I just think it's important. Uh, There's another America out there, and I wanted them to see it. And it's a musical place. So we drove from New Orleans, kind of up the Mississippi, uh, to Memphis, and then across to Nashville. And, you know, it was cool. We saw Faraday, Louisiana, Jerry Lee Lewis's, you know, Clarksdale, Sam Cook's. uh, It's music's everywhere you can be in the middle of nowhere in memphis we went to graceland and it was really moving like my older son lucian um was listening to a lot of Elvis after that and then the next night we um we had dinner with garth and trisha and trisha made cowboy lasagna and we we had this dinner and um I talked to my sons the next day and I said, uh, You may be the only guys in the world who went to Graceland one day and then had dinner with Garth Brooks and Trisha Yearwood the next. And I said, You know, and because it happened, we should think about it, you know, because one day we're at Graceland and we end at a grave site. And the next day we end with these two people who are making dinner for us. And they both experienced this super high level of success. And I said, I think one of them is doing better, Garth Brooks, because yeah. he's going to dinner with schlumps like us. You know, like, think about it. Uh, and it's not. And I said, I know people who knew Elvis. From the sounds of it, he was a great guy. Maybe he was lost, but he was a great guy. Garth's a great guy. He doesn't seem lost. And I think it's because he's having dinner with us. And I sense with with Bruce, like when I went to interview him, he was so fully present. He was not speaking from a higher place. Um, he was really like trying to give me what I needed. And um, I think as performers, they get up there and it's like, okay, what, what,
0: what do people need and what need well not want this is i not what a people that you just said something so fucking brilliant man many many people make the mistake of trying to give people what they want and you're correct that those two people give us what we need and that's a
1: giant difference yeah deep stuff
0: spent like an, uh, an unreasonable amount of time thinking about Bob Dylan my life that's the for me even number one you know before all else like you know hundreds of hours deep in the thinking and caring you very um his name is in the petty book probably 10 times for every time it's in this book I think it's in this book three times total twice in one sentence once in one sentence like I <laughs> you know when you say the new Bob Dylan Dylan but like And you know, for the hundreds of books written about Dylan, thousands of books written about Dylan, I think what Dylan does is impossible to write about. And I think what Dylan is inaccessible. And can you talk a little bit about the accessibility in a way of Bruce or, and please, if you disagree, I wanna hear it. If you think there is a way that Dylan's accessible, but for me, ultimately Dylan's genius being maybe the great artist of art, you know, in the Harold Bloom sense, like um, Harold Bloom always talks about how Shakespeare invented the human, but to me, you know, invented human psychology. But to me, Bob Dylan invented the modern, modern person, the way modern people think. And it seems like inaccessible, like you can't, I don't think anyone could ever really understand what's happening in there with Bob. Would would it be, would that be something that you'd want to try to understand as a writer? Or do you uh, think that the, that there is something more accessible about all the figures who who aren't quite bob well
1: let me say this about about dylan i
0: just think he's the
1: greatest architect of mystery um you know you you read chronicles and you know more and somehow you know less uh like wow that that's a magic trick there but the mystery permeates the listening experience uh Bruce and Bob in some respects are at opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, Bruce is so giving. Let you know, if you let me help you to understand that we're connected as human beings, yes. and um where this music is coming from. He's so he's got such a generosity there. And I love both models. I totally love both models. Um, but I relate more to the Bruce model because probably Dylan is so mysterious that it's like kind of beyond reach. Uh, Yeah. But it's funny. (laughs) I, uh, you keep trying to unravel the mystery, but I'm not sure I want to listen to the records without the mystery being there. Uh, But Bruce being more having that generosity of of spirit, and I don't think mystery is the absence of generosity. I mean generosity it's this act of giving that that Bruce does that that I think
0: make his shows so fully alive um oh uh, this generosity, Warren, you know I so you're just talking about the Mississippi Delta and stuff going down there going and and the other thing I'd written down to talk about is i've because I want your hit on it is, you know, I've been watching a lot lately. I've been going back over and over these um appearances Paul Simon made on Dick Cavett where he's basically writing his, writing some of the greatest songs ever written on Dick Cavett's couch. Have you seen this shit where he 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 will say like I'm stuck on this song and and he'll play like a verse and chorus of one of the most famous songs ever written and he's not fucking around. He's stuck on the song. And he's like, "And I was thinking about how like there's no, Bruce would never, ever, ever show that unfinished thing while in process. And yet when I watch Paul Simon, you know, these are, we're talking about the greatest who ever picked up a guitar and tried to write songs. When I see Paul Simon on stage, even though he has the ability to be very public in a certain way, on stage, I always find him isolated, like connecting with the audience. It's the audience's job to connect with him Whereas Bruce is doing so much once he gets out of that isolation of the creativity to form a sense of community. And and in a way, as you say, he used Nebraska, the most isolated of his record, in order to try to gain understanding with the audience. Is that his track?
1: Well, I I don't think he was I don't think he was thinking about the audience. I think he was thinking about the audience when he released
0: it. Yes, when sure, better. Thank making you. Making yes.
1: I I think he was a hundred percent in the songs and in the world of feeling that was driving these narratives about other people. But going to the Paul Simon um, sharing unfinished work on Dick Cavett. I mean, Nebraska is unfinished work. I don't think Bruce would. Who would do it on Dick Cavett? I love Dick Cavett, man. Where is our Dick Cavett? You know, it's like, there's nothing like that on TV. Just a smart guy who's not parading his intelligence. Uh, Really special character. But to that unfinished thing, I just think nobody's done it like Bruce. I think Nebraska is the ultimate. I'm going to give you the sketches. It's so beautiful in that way. But but Paul, you know, is not I'm and, and you know, Paul's on on Dick Cavan, he's playing an unfinished song. He's definitely not asking us to finish it. <laughs> right.
0: No, that's for sure. And listen, Warren, um how has interacting with a bunch of the greatest songwriters ever? As somebody who was a successful musician, has a brother who's also had a lot of success with you and not, um, but how has it affected your own sense of yourself as a songwriter? Like, do you still write songs as much as you used to? Do songs, when you write them, still mean the same things to you? And, and what did you, from hanging around with Tom and Mike Campbell and Stevie and Bruce, what kind of effect has that had on you as an artist? You know, not just when you're writing about them, but, but in the afterglow.
1: Well, I I've always been writing, and so I I stay active there. I don't I don't play a lot of shows. Um, a fair amount of my writing in the past few years has been co-writes with Paul Muldoon, where he gives you the lyrics, and but my own writing. Uh, and I was just talking to the guy that I make records with, saying I want to do a three-record set. I just want to do a three-record set. Like I'm not I'm not doing it for anybody. I'm not even doing it for my do mother. It you know uh but the songs keep coming how do these people they all affect me you know when i when i look closely at highway patrolman i'm so in awe of the way he's telling this story the story being told the kind of economy uh the it's so emotionally troubling but he's not doing that part of it. he's letting us feel it but there's a kind of matter of factness to it uh but also just the scope of time the compressed quality of the narrative i don't know how any writer could not learn from that if you're writing songs
0: it's like it's
1: man that's a
0: master class You know, Mansion on a Hill might have been the song that started it for Bruce, but for me when I was 16 and the album came out, Highway Patrolman was the song I was able to lock into. That story was the song from that album that I cared about before the rest of the album opened itself up to me because the questions in that song were questions that you could understand as a 16-year-old dealing with friends, relationships like brothers. Oh my God, for you, that song, I can't imagine how that song hits you. So yeah. Uh, I'm well, so glad you brought it up. It's it's
1: some of the stuff is like, it's so, it touches a nerve so deeply. But like when he just lets his brother go, I'm, you know, I just get that feeling like, man, I want to be loved like that. Man, I want somebody to love me like that. Like, it just kills me.
0: Perfect place to end because what your books do is actually... Express that. If they express that love, whether, as you say, you're writing them for your sons. But the truth is, the reader feels your love, man. You really feel your empathy, affection, and love for the people you're writing about, for music in general, for humanity, and for um, all uh, of us wastrels out there trying to find something to hold on to. And it's really beautiful, and it's why I, I, I wanted to talk to you. So thanks. Well, thank you I, I i uh i love
1: talking about the music that you know grabbed us and held us so uh thank you
0: where can people find you or do you have a, are you is there warrenzanes.com? is that the thing uh, yeah there is i just i just went to my
1: 20 year old lucian and said man I, my website is 10 years old can you make me a new one and uh, he made one uh like i i just sat there and i was so annoying to work with but it's warren-zanes.com
0: warren-zanes.com so go there you can find me uh, if you want to email me the moment bk at gmail.com and uh go buy deliver me from nowhere and the tom patty book uh, and go throw a del fuego's record on for the fuck of it there's so much fun um warren zanes thanks so much for doing this thank you